0: Good morning, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 25th, 2024, and my name is Melanie C, a a recovered compulsive overeater, and I live in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 23rd, 2024, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study share ID number is 21164-21000. 164, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book study, that share ID number is 21165, 21,165. This morning, A Vision for You presents Recovery, Flounder or Flourish. The title for this Sunday special edition, Recovery, Flounder or Flourish, sets a compelling stage for a discussion deeply rooted in the transformative journey outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This title suggests the essential features of a recovered life succinctly and the dichotomy faced in struggling with the disease of compulsive overeating, the ongoing battle between succumbing to the disease, floundering, and rising above it to find a fulfilling life in recovery, flourishing. The speaker will point out and dig into the profound wording provided by the Big Book regarding the promise of recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Through a personal narrative and interpretive experience of the application of of the textbook's directions, the presenter will explore the essential elements that shift an individual from floundering in the depths of addiction to flourishing in the light of recovery. Expect to hear about the critical role of honesty. Openness and willingness in kickstarting the journey from the brink of despair to a path of purpose and hope. Expect to also hear words like any length and a power greater and most important than oneself. The talk will likely highlight personal stories from oneself as well as from the big book that illustrate the dramatic turnarounds possible and promised when individuals embrace the program of recovery and begin to, hap- to apply its principles in their daily lives happily. This session aims to inspire, educate, and affirm that recovery is not only possible, but leads to a life beyond one's wildest dreams, a life where one does not merely survive, but truly flourishes. It's a reminder that while the journey may begin in a place of darkness, the path laid out by the big book offers a roadmap to a life filled with light, promise, and joy. Our guest speaker today is an enthusiast, faithfully offering his experience, support, encouragement, and heart. You will find him daily running the halls and the rooms of a vision for you, making himself available to be of service anywhere and anytime. And we Grateful for that, his generosity has blessed us all and given step, and given steady strength to the daily, big book study. Please help me welcome by giving a warm round of applause to our guest speaker today, Larry Kay from Illinois. Good morning to you. Want to give us a quick star one, Larry? Hey, that's a good way
1: to start. <laughs>
2: <Can> <laughs> good morning, you, good now morning. Thanks. Oh, good
1: morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for that that beautiful opening. I I could listen to you I can listen to you for hours. Um yeah, you, you certainly captured captured some of the things that I'm gonna try my best to talk about. And I you know I'm Mary Kay, a recovered compulsible reader and I reside in the Chicago area and I'm just I'm delighted to participate. Um this morning, and um, you know, you know, Melanie talked a little bit about this transformative journey. And yes, there is a dichotomy. That's true. And and, and if we simplify it, you know, floundering, we all know that very well. That's um, that's disease in all its forms, all its manifestations. And we arrive here, you know, uh, perhaps not completely understanding that, but we'll learn a little bit more over time. And then flourishing is recovery. And flourishing for me, you know, I'm gonna, what I'm gonna try to do is, well, first, let me say that, uh, I, I say this for me, uh, more than anyone, uh, I need to say this because I have to be reminded there are no special ones in Obreaders o- Anonymous, there's no gurus, there's no big shots. For me, if there's no humility, I mean, not feigned humility, but real, true, authentic humility, then um, there, there's no spiritual recovery, at least sustainable spiritual recovery. And I understand the paradox there that because we're all human, you know, we are going to have – you know, the big book talks about, uh, about the ego and I've heard people talk about egoism and all the different, you know, things and so forth, and I think all oh, that makes a lot, of, a lot of sense to me. So I just I say that because I don't have all the answers, you guys. I, I certainly don't. I'm learning like everyone else is. That's why I show up every day, and that's why I, I, I get on the line and listen to these special editions because because I need to hear sometimes a repetition of things. Um, the answers for me I find in the, the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I I my recovery is uh, I recover. So that I can live life because life happens. I don't uh, live merely to just recover. Um, so that, that sort of captures. I wanted to just say that as I start out. And so this morning, you know, let, let's see what we can learn together from our text um, and some of my experiences about our capacity to flourish in recovery from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and as I say, I'm going to share some of my personal experiences a little bit. I'll weave them in. I'm definitely in floundering in this program and with God's help uh, having uh, time to flourish in this program. And let me say from the outset, flourishing is not a destination that we, at least from from my perspective, where we reach this place of nirvana. <laughs> you know, we reach this place where we uh, we're, we're, we're wrapped in bubble wrap and, and, and everything is, uh, everything is uh, uh, happy all the time. I mean, we're going to experience things. I have friends that have ex- in program that have experienced uh, the death of a loved one. I have, you know, there, things are going to happen. And I think we all know that. But I, I just say that because uh, flourishing, uh, from my perspective, is not something that is going to be sort of a smiley flick smiley faced notion of flourishing. In other words, one can flourish in this practical program of spiritual action. And still, we have our own predispositions genetically, <laughs> not just physically, but emotionally, mentally. Uh, perhaps one could say spiritually. We have our, our, our genetics play a role a, a little bit in terms of our moods and, 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 and so forth. But at the same time, um, we're all different, and so flourishing, for me, uh, might mean something different than someone else. So, again, I don't have all the answers here, but I'm going to share some of these experiences. And, you know, when I think of flourishing, when things are going our way, we might be said to be flourishing. We're, we're, we're basically content. We are happy. How, how do you define happiness? How do you measure happiness? This isn't, a, this isn't like a, something we can see on an X-ray, right, or an MRI. Um, so happiness really is sort of the outcome of recovery, contentment. Uh, we are healthy. We're healthy of mind, uh, body, and spirit. I would suggest that we're motivated. Um, we have, we're peaceful in our life, even in the midst of calamity. And on, on the other hand, when we're struggling, we're at risk of languishing. And I certainly languished in the rooms of OA for a number of year, years early on. And, and, and if I'm completely honest, which is an essential principle here, I can say there are times when I've, I've, uh, I've languished, I've, I've floundered at times, um, uh, even, even well into the program. And, and, you know, we're, 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 unhappy. We're, we're stressed. We, perhaps we lack motivation. Uh, for me, I can feel fatigued. We can feel overwhelmed, you know, perhaps like Bill W experienced from, from time to time in his life. I mean, it's all documented. Um, we can be depressed. We can have trouble finding a reason to get out of bed on a given morning. You know, you may, you may feel like you have an infinite number of responsibilities, uh, uh, but, but but that none of these responsibilities perhaps have any meaning or purpose. And can I relate to that on any level uh, during my time in a way? Of course I can. And, and this sort of dissatisfaction, this sort of restlessness can be problematic for anyone. You know, but for those of us that are embarking on recovery, on a process of recovery from compulsive overeating, and all the manifestations of the spiritual malady, and, and also related addictions. I mean, we talk about, you know, compulsive overeating, but let's be clear, there are people in this room that, 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 that perhaps have multiple addictions. This is particularly dangerous to, to languish. To We, we, we want to be able to thrive. And, and even if I've had some abstinence or if you've had some abstinence from your alcoholic food, Languishing or floundering in this way often leads to relapse. It, it it really undermines our recovery. And so what I want to do is I want to take a step back, just a brief step back a bit. And I'm reminded I'm gonna go. I like to go to the book, right? And I'm gonna to go to the book and in in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the forward. I think of the forward of the first edition. If you're if you're following along, XIII. In in the fourth edition, it tells me that to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And we hear that again and again. If you've been around Vision for You, we're going to cycle through the book, and we've heard that before. And so the book is going to go on to tell me what it is that I'm going to need to do to have a complete psychic change. I have to have an Inner renewal. I have to have a fundamental psychic shift, right? And and this was critical for me to understand because having a psychic change for me today is so much more than just not being tempted to eat. Not being tempted to eat. I'm not going to minimize that, the importance of that. That's a great thing. Not being tempted to eat, not being tempted to vomit, not being tempted to whatever your manifestations that are sort of ancillary parts of your disease, not being tempted to control other people. Okay, there's all sorts of things. But it is, we are in Overeaters Anonymous, and, and not being tempted to eat is a good thing. Um, but that alone, you know, I think of a story when I was about 10, and we were living in California, and, and I remember this pretty clearly. Um, this was going to be a, a, a half-day fishing trip. I had never been on a fishing trip, and I sure as heck had never been on the ocean before, and I was really excited. And um, I was going with my stepfather uh, and and a few other people, and we had rented this half-day, you know, uh, uh, trip that we were going to take to go fishing. And prior to leaving that afternoon, um, you know, I was provided with some lunch, and the lunch was, I remember very specifically, it was a uh, McDonald's, whatever it was, uh, filet of fish, whatever it was. And it tasted good, and and I ate that before I got on the boat. Now, I get on the boat, and probably it's kind of choppy waves. I think we left out of, I don't know, if it was Santa Monica, it doesn't matter, somewhere in that area at the time. This is so many years ago, right? And so there we go. And uh, I learned for the first time in my life at a, at the age of ten what uh what it was to be seasick <laughs> so i won 't go into great detail, but you use your imagination what happened right and so um, I mentioned this to 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 say to you that for a for a good period of time, and i don 't remember how long it was it a month or two or three, even the thought of whatever I ate. At McDonald's, the thought of that absolutely—it just made me cringe, right? I would feel sick just the the idea of it. But see, as a compulsive overeater, and I, I certainly didn't know what I was up against at ten years of age—that's for sure. But as a compulsive overeater, what I what I uh, what I know today is that, you know, that didn't last very long. <laughs> you know, it lasted for a couple of months, maybe maybe three months. And before you know it, you know, I'm back to eating, you know, the same things without a, a thought in the world that didn't create any problems for me. And what I've since learned, I've talked to many people, I'll just call them normal what's normal, right? But let's just say for our for our purposes, a normal eater, uh, they might have the same experience, often do, and they'll never eat that thing again. Maybe they will, but they, they will always be because they, they, they do not have both the body and the obsession of the mind, perhaps. And, and because of that, um, when they get sick from something, it's kind of like, a, you know, a, think of a wild animal. I think of a, you know, a, a group of monkeys in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the wild. And they come across at some point some berries that make them sick. They have this thing figured out, these monkeys and other animals they will never eat those poisonous berries again, never, okay? Because they've had that poor experience and for some reason monkeys have figured it out. We don't, us compulsive breeders, we have the inability to figure that out. But, but I use that example to suggest that, you know, abstinence by itself is not a recovery for me. And so, when it talks about uh, we're gonna learn precisely what we need to recover. So let, let's focus back on flourishing and floundering. When I arrived to Overeaters Anonymous, as I've mentioned, I languished in the rooms for several years. And I, I, I would tell you that I did not understand what I was up against. I was not clear on what my problem was. You know, we, the, the problem, the allergy of the body, the mental twist, the double whammy is part of my problem, certainly. I didn't fully embrace that lack of power was my dilemma, and furthermore, you know, even if lack of power was my dilemma, uh, when I came into the room, I don't know about you, but you're not gonna ram the God stuff down my throat? Because I'm not even sure at that point that there was a God, that's just my experience, a God theological in nature or otherwise, that could or would help me with this problem. A problem by the way that seemed to be related to the food so there shows you kind of where I was in in, in understanding what this problem was and moreover I didn't understand clearly what the solution was now now look if we don't understand the problem obviously any solution presented you know it's it's not going to make a whole lot of sense so I for example I once ate nothing but watermelon for two weeks as much watermelon as I wanted. And let me tell you, I lost weight pretty quickly. And yes, I had digestive issues, as you can imagine, eating that watermelon. I once had liposuction surgery on my waistline. In fact, I had it twice. I'm sure that's on a podcast somewhere along the way. But, um, but I did. I looked for all sorts of, of different solutions because I didn't understand what my problem was. You know the point being that my perceptive lens in which I used my mental capacities to come up with a solution as best I could, it was skewed, and at that time, if there was a temporary solution, it's going to involve diet and it's going to involve exercise, and it's going to involve other external interventions of all sorts and 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 i and I didn't know how to bring the solution to light, in other words how that solution, a a spiritual awakening, gets manifested in my life or or anyone else's life for that matter. So for me, the primary things that got in the way of flourishing and recovery, there's a number of things, and Mel hit on some of them. But first I'll say, I didn't understand the problem, did not understand the solution, nor did I have any uh, uh, understanding of how to bring that solution to light. So, uh, you know, I do not uh, put the food down. That was one of the things. In other words, I'm, I'm unwilling to go through a period of uncomfortability that goes with early withdrawal. I just wasn't there yet. Um, I remember, for example, for me, Mel talked about honesty, okay? And uh, I remember for me, uh, I, you know, I, I put down – what I thought were my alcoholic food substances as best I could. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a little process. Um, but at the same time, as I learned more, I realized I found that I put down those alcoholic food substances, and then you know what I found? I found granola. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling this story not to focus too much on food, but just to, 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 perhaps to, to speak a little bit about honesty. Honesty with self, self self-awareness, that type of honesty. And let me tell you, this granola did not, I can assure you, did not have any of those alcoholic food substances in them, at least at the time that I thought, would trigger the phenomenon of craving. But when I got this designer granola, (laughs) I call it designer granola. I remember it was banana-flavored granola. There was no sugar in it, for example. Uh, There was no uh, sugar substitute of any kind. Um, There was no flour. It's granola. There was no flour. And, and, And just this was my, you know, this was my understanding of what I needed to do. But back to the honesty, what I did was I ate that granola like it was going out of style. And all the while, I felt abstinent. And so I would think about the granola. I would purchase the granola. I would eat the granola like I was eating Oreo cookies, um, and uh, and and on and on it went. And and so honesty is is uh, and self awareness is a huge part of all this because for me uh, and, and honesty extends so much further than that. But I'm just giving one example. I was unwilling to get honest because I was getting an effect. From that granola in lieu of other foods, and I was getting an effect, and that effect numbed me out. I had sort of anticipatory excitement about that. That food was talking to me just as much as other foods were talking to me. And so I continued to eat that, and I could rationalize and justify. I could come up with all sorts of cockamamie you know, ideas why, why it was fine. And and so it went. Now, I will tell you that also, back to the honesty, I, somehow I felt some shame over it. And it wasn't the, the, the substance so much that I had shame over. It was I knew in my heart of hearts it was giving me an effect. And I did not want to tell my sponsor about that. I've since learned, because I've <laughs> spoken to many people over the years, that they've had similar experiences. In fact, someone on the line right now, I'm sure, if you're like me in those early years, and I'll speak to later years too, but in those early years, um, that someone on the line right now is probably engaged, statistically speaking, I'm not you know accusing anyone, but they're probably engaged in some in some of the similar types of things as I was in that regard. And trust me, they're not telling their spots. because because they know in their heart of hearts now i might tell somebody who you know might not be my sponsor might not be someone who would hold me accountable loving accountability and i might tell someone else that i know it's palatable it's they're going to be nurturing and supportive and and they're who knows if they're in the fellowship they may be doing some of the same things so you know uh You know, so they might might allow me to feel okay about that uh, to my detriment and to their detriment, okay? But so that speaks to some of the honesty. Now, here's something that's really critical that that I thought about that speaks to flourishing. Am I demanding recovery rather than inspiring recovery? Am I demanding recovery rather than inspiring recovery? inspiring recovery, because there's a big difference. So let me, let me expand on that a little bit. You know, for me, demanding recovery is something I did, although I wasn't aware of it. It's, it's when we place an expectation on the universe that if I cross my T's and I dot my I's within program, in other words, I'm taking certain actions, and if I cross my T's and I dot my I's, I'll get something in return. And, you know, for me, when recovery is demanded, it's often driven by force and an and, and obligation and perhaps some perceived external pressure. It's where a compulsive overeater feels compelled or coerced to engage in the, in the, in the recovery process, you know, maybe working the steps or, or, or making phone calls or using some of the handrails, the tools that we use. So on the other hand, for me, inspiring recovery places the focus on, on things like motivation and encouragement, right? And, and I'm not saying you're going to feel good <laughs> when you put the food down. None of us feel good we're, when we're in an unrecovered state as we are beginning to embark on these steps. So, so please don't misunderstand me. But when we're inspiring recovery rather than demanding it, we have a proper motivation, a sense of hope and encouragement, and we're aiming to inspire a sense of hope and purpose. And by doing this, we invite this higher power—whatever this higher power is for you—just must be a power greater than you. We, when we inspire recovery, we invite this higher power in, despite our uncertainty, despite our fears, despite the trepidation. Okay, so inspiring recovery is about willing participation, even if it's driven by pain, okay, so it's, you know, this is incongruent with the idea that pain is, is the greatest motivator, but when I inspire recovery, it's about my willing participation, even in the midst of the pain of withdrawal, even in the midst of emotional pain that I'm dealing with in my life. Inspiring recovery is meaningful, and what I found is, when I do that, it could be a slight shift in my thinking, right? Maybe you do, you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe it, it's falling flat for you. Maybe it's resonating with you. But what I will tell you for me when I'm inspiring, inspiring recovery in a meaningful way, it leads to a sustainable and fulfilling journey. Not only talked about a transformative journey in this dichotomy between disease and recovery, the, the, the fulfilling journey, you know, helps me, and it moves me towards getting well. When I say getting well, that can mean a lot of different things. Depends where you are. One of the things is, you know, we're in Overeaters Anonymous. We want to be happy, joyous, and free. We want to, we want to be free from the obsession to compulsively overeat, right? And, and maybe you have that. Maybe you have that. But demanding recovery, for me, led to languishing in program. It led to a feeling of exhaustion. It most certainly led me towards relapse. The relapse, I'm a pretty, I've got a high tolerance for pain. Many of us do. High tolerance for emotional pain, maybe a high tolerance for physical pain. But I will tell you eventually, just like it's prophesied in the book, we read about the, lots of people. We read about Jim and Fred and, and others, and more about alcohols and these people that were so. I've got a, they, they, perhaps they had a high tolerance for pain as well. But eventually, when I am demanding recovery, I have an expectation and a sense of entitlement towards recovery. That what happens is is that I'm closer to a Hershey bar. (laughs) You know, I'm closer to, I'm closer to the food and it may, and and then, and then I'm pounding my, I'm pounding my hand on the bakery bar, right? Uh, So when I was demanding recovery in OA, one of my mindsets, and we'll see if this resonates with you, was, you know, why is everyone getting this? See, that was my perception, right? Everyone's getting this. Why is everyone getting this? But With me, uh, you know, I'm not getting this, you know? When when is it going to be my turn? How how many meetings am I going to have to go to? How many phone calls am I going to have to make? How many times am I going to have to call my sponsor at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or pick a time, you know? How many times am I going to have to do these things until I get what is coming to me here? Isn't this something that I earn? isn't this kind of like a point system of doing good? And if I do enough good, if I call you, and if if I put out enough chairs in a meeting, I mean, at some point, isn't this the transformative thing? And I'm not suggesting it's not a part of that, but that is not the essence of the program of recovery. It is not for the implementation of the steps that drive us towards relationship to power. I'm not saying that I'm not crapping on them. I'm not saying that these other things are not important. I'm just saying let me separate what is the program of spiritual action that leads to access to power in a sustainable way. And let me separate out the things that are the handrails that support me that of course I'm using. I'm using them now. I'm, 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 you know, I'm speaking to you. I'm trying to do service. I'm, I'm on the telephone, as far as I can tell. You know, I'm using these things, and I use these things on a daily basis. These, these are the handrails. They help me. But uh, demanding recovery. Uh, you know, the other thing for me is when I went to meetings. <laughs> I think back, and I had a hyper-vigilant focus. I was looking at others. And I, for me, you may be different, but I primarily early on was looking at their physical form. And if you're, as if their body size was the primary indication of their recovery. And I know a little different today, but but as a person prone to obsession, I would contemplate also about their food plan. If they shared a story, I'm focused on their food plan. Everything else they say, it just kind of right over my head. What are they eating? I'll tell you what I wasn't doing (laughs) when I was engaged in all that. What I wasn't doing is I wasn't hearing the folks that were speaking about the implementation of the steps as a means to having a spiritual transformation. For example, like I was not ready to hear or to embrace the, the, the following. Like, you know, bottom of page 43 in the chapter more about alcoholism. I wasn't ready to hear or embrace this. And it says, the alcoholic at certain times has no mental defense against the first drink, the first bite in our case, right? Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. Oh, boy, here it comes. going to whack me over the head, but I didn't hear it. His defense must come from a higher power i got to repeat that for, my, for myself. His defense must come from a higher power. And if there was a speaker at that time that resonated with me, it was the person who looked good, the person who mesmerized me by a talent for public speaking, you know, and, and, and what I've since learned sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I say this with love and kindness and grace, sometimes those folks were not carrying a message of depth and weight. Sometimes they were, but many were here today and gone tomorrow. So inspiring recovery leads to flourishing. It, it, it leads to thriving. And it's in, and I really believe it's in alignment with a sort of a God-centered consciousness versus a self-centered consciousness. So let, let, let's take a look at some of the things that I would suggest we need to own. You know, I, I need to own certain things during this process of recovery if I'm going to thrive and flourish. And I've touched on some of them, but I want to I talk about the, the, the paradoxical, you know, Mel talked about the dichotomy. Mel, I'm writing things down. When you talk, I write things down. So, I'm, I, you know, this, the, the, the dichotomy, the paradoxical theory of change. I'll call it the paradoxical theory of change, just my own little thought about this. And and this paradoxical notion of change goes something like this. You know, change occurs when we accept ourselves as we are, right? It's a central element. We accept ourselves as we are rather than trying to force change. So for me, I need to understand and embrace my current state so there's going to be some honesty that's required of me, right, rather than resist it. And it's, it, 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 it could be quite natural for human beings to resist it. And In other words, maybe you've heard of this, but whatever I resist will persist. Whatever I resist will persist. So what's going to be the catalyst for meaningful change? self-acceptance, and honest self-exploration. And, and part of my floundering in OA way was my deeply ingrained need. I, I, I had a need to resist anything that I was ashamed of. I had a need to resist anything that made me cringe Any, about myself, right? Anything that I perceived needed to be kept safely in the dark and And you know and, and there was many things that were that were kept in the dark and still can be at times, so I don't back to the to the idea, don't ever uh think well i I want to disabuse you this notion that that somehow, if you hear someone on the line, me or anybody else, really, that you know everything is always hunky dory, everything is always wonderful, uh they've got it figured out, maybe they speak with a little wisdom here and there, well, anyone could speak for a few minutes with some wisdom. But, we, but let's always recognize we're human. But resistance, what, what this, what what essentially I'll say what God has taught me. Okay, I'm just going to say it. What God has taught me, this higher power that I don't completely understand, that is mysterious in nature, but nonetheless has shown himself, herself, itself. This God has shown itself through the implementation of these steps. What this God has shown me is that Transparency. It's not as transparency is critical. Transparency is critical. One of the reasons that I like to hear certain people, okay because they demonstrate recovery. Now I know certain people, I know they have problems in their lives. I know they have deficiencies just like me. I know they have you know it's not as though we move from the spiritual malady to perfection on a spiritual level. As if that would be, as if that would be, you know, that's that's this arrival. We, we, we read in our book about, uh, about about arrival, right? But nonetheless, when I see people that day after day are, in fact, it's more powerful, if they're demonstrating recovery, even in the midst of their deficiencies. And you know the messages that resonate with me most, and I'm not going to pick on individual people, but you have, you have your own people. could be your sponsor. could be people you hear online. could be anyone. But the people that you see have weaknesses, and yet there's transcendence through the weaknesses, and they have a commitment to recovery, and they treat other people well. And it's not like they're, they're a doormat. Oh no! They have very strong opinions, oftentimes very strong opinions about what recovery is and what it isn't. Because they've taken these steps, they continue to take these steps. Now I'm not, I'm not looking for a trophy here, but I'm gonna, I'm just going to share with you. Yesterday, I'm on the phone with my sponsor, and uh, you know we don't have to wait. To, you know the one through twelve. Yes, there's a sequence, there's an order of the steps, but if I am troubled, I'm disturbed, I have fears for, I have, I've had some recent fears, I'm going to do an inventory. You think I'm beyond doing an inventory? You think I'm beyond getting up you know, yesterday morning and getting on Zoom, uh, in this case with my sponsor who lives in another state, uh, and, and sharing that? By the way, do you think it went perfect? <laughs> do you think it was all encompassing? You think he heard these things and and offered the perfect feedback? No, none of that's true, nor was it ever required. But what was required was honesty. As best I can, right, as best I can, is honesty. What was required when I'm doing this inventory is to really get to the heart of, in this case with a fear, of how God would have me be. And sometimes I need some help with that. Sometimes I can I can see things that are pretty clear that God God would not want me to walk around uh, uh, lacking courage. God would not want me to be a turtle. Have you ever been a turtle? Now God made a turtle. So 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 clearly the shell serves a purpose. And 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 I would I would surmise that. Uh, for protection because it doesn't have claws or whatever. I don't know turtles too well, but it's got a shell, a protective shell, and it goes back into the shell, and it has a survival aspect to it, right? But I use that sort of as a metaphor that I can go back into my shell. I can go back into my shell. That fear keeps me in my shell. And when I when I look again, and it's not, I'm not being protected by a lion, right? It's not something that can kill me. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm taking that, that instinct of protection and self-survival beyond what was intended. I'm going into my shell because it seems safe, but I'm under a delusion. Far better for me to deal with the fear with courage. I'm not going to get my neck, you know, my head... Bitten off, you know, by this, this fear, and I can put, and I can come out of my shell, and I can deal with what's right in front of me, honestly, openly. These are part of the spiritual practices, and when I do that on a repetitive basis, I get better at it. Not perfect at it, but I get better at it. And when I continue to be transparent and open up, and I don't have to tell everything to everyone but I certainly need to tell someone that understands my disease, right? And in this case, it was my sponsor. And so I share those things, and, and you know where it moved me? It wasn't just getting to a mindset. It moved me to the next action, what I need to take care of. What action can I take care of, okay, with that fear? How would have God have me be? He would have me take care of certain things related to that fear. There were things that I could do. Okay, so, you know, it, this, this notion of resistance, right? This, I was talking a bit about, prior to that story, about resistance. And, you know, resistance, it speaks to a, a, to a human adaptability to our circumstances. I will shift my baseline of what I'm willing to endure. I will shift my baseline to what I'm willing to endure. For example... Here's what I would tell myself when I was languishing and floundering in a way. You know, things aren't that bad. And I'll tell you what, I'm not as obese as that person over there. I'm certainly not homeless yet. And my health is not as bad as that person. I'm not eating nearly as bad as her. And my relationships are not that bad. I haven't lost my job yet. You know, like, like I can keep going with minimum minimal effort. It's, it's a shifting baseline. I call it like a shifting baseline syndrome. <laughs> and we call that habituation in my world, right? The more we, we, we are repeatedly exposed to some condition, we get used to it. We normalize it. And that's fine for some things. Like if, if, if you have a, a small cut on your hand, let's say, and you put a Band-Aid on while your cut is healing. When you first put that Band-Aid on, you notice it. Oh, you notice it. I'm not saying it's painful, but you notice that Band-Aid's there. What, what happens after about 15 minutes, 30 minutes? You don't even, re, you don't even notice it, that it's there anymore, right? And, that, and that's fine, we habituate to that, okay? You know, when we first put the Band-Aid on, it feels weird, you notice it, you touch it. It's like uh, you first get married, you put on a ring. Uh, you play with that ring. Oh, my God, I got this ring on. I didn't have a ring on before. I'm playing with the ring. Eventually, you stop playing with the ring. You know, you don't even notice it. Yet, would you agree with me, and maybe you won't, <laughs> that it does not help me to become habituated to the bedevilments on page 52, for example. It doesn't help me in addiction to become habituated. And this is what keeps me, if I do become habituated to the bedevilments that I'm going to read in a moment, then what happens in that case is I begin to flounder. So, like, the, the inability to control my emotional nature, I don't, I don't want that to be normalized. I don't want to normalize having trouble with personal relationships, nor do I want to habituate to being a prey to misery and depression. See, with addiction, what we do oftentimes, I think, is we make normal that which is abnormal. You know, we make right what is wrong. You know, like when everyone, when we perceive that everyone has an addiction, it feels like no one has an addiction. And I don't want to be- normalize that. Okay, so, so if we can expand a bit on the notion of acceptance as a necessary, essential, central, Mel talked about central elements. Acceptance is a central element of flourishing in recovery. And, and Bill understood this all too well. <clears throat> On page 30 in the chapter, more about alcoholism, it says the following. And you've heard it before, perhaps. But if you haven't, page 30. Quote, no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different than his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. In fact, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. You know, uh, and and that's so true. So even further along in recovery for me, I languished. I floundered. Let me give you an example. I I, I remember this fellow I knew, and she could eat almond butter. And, And this wasn't just some, you know, let me be clear. This wasn't some processed almond butter loaded with all sorts of other ingredients and preservatives and so forth. I saw it being made, just raw almonds. It was just raw almonds. And, and, I, I, and hey, I thought, I, I, I eat raw almonds. Why would this be any different for me? But you know what? Back to the honesty, it was different. I don't know why it was different. You would think that logically it wouldn't be different. Perhaps it was the consistency of the almond butter. Who knows? But here's the thing. I noticed And again, recovery has allowed me to build up some degree of honesty. Not all the time, but at least I can, can, you know, get back to the basics of this program. I noticed that I was jonesing for that almond butter. You know what I mean? Jonesing. I was jonesing for the almond butter. It was talking to me just as much as a Hershey bar used to talk to me, just as much as Oreo cookies used to talk to me, right? They were in the cabinet, and it's all I could do is obsess and think about them. Nothing much else mattered until invariably I was, was like a gravitational pull to the cabinet, right? Now, when we, when we really have a more solid foundation of spiritual transformation in this program, when we're in fit spiritual condition, not perfect spiritual condition, that doesn't exist. But when we're in fit spiritual condition, when we encounter the alcoholic food substance, you're going to react, the big book tells me, you're going to react like you put your hand on a hot stove. Page 84, we will seldom be interested in liquor. Doesn't say we'll never be, but we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. So we don't react anxiously, right? Rather, rather we, we're able to react sanely and normally. And we find that this happens automatically. And if you're really in full recovery, you don't want to use. And you don't want to use peacefully. You don't want to use happily. So in this scenario with the almond butter, I will tell you, I, looking back, was not in that spiritual condition. No, I could go on and on as to to why that might have been. You know, could be a lot of different explanations, but I don't know that over-analysis, I do believe in self-exploration and inventory, but I don't know that over-analysis is going to, uh, it's just going to feed my curiosity more than anything. But eventually, not right away, eventually I began to do full inventory on a lot of things that were going on in my life, a lot of dishonesty that was going on in my life at that time. I was lowering my standards. For myself, in this spiritual recovery, I was being dishonest, right? Uh, Mel talked about honesty, openness, and willingness. Now, please, I'm just using the words. I know there's kind of a, you know, for somebody who's been around, I mean, there's a program, you know, how? I'm not talking about that. I'm just using the terms. Honesty, because they they make good sense to me. Honesty, openness, and willingness. Without those things, I will languish. I will not thrive in this program. So for that, I had to, back to the almond order, you know, I was not recoiling from it as from a hot flame. You know, I was anxiously reacting, and before you knew it. And, and so the text tells me that I will see this new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. And I believe, as those promises read, that's when we're in fit spiritual condition as a result of the implementation of the steps and the ongoing honesty, openness, and willingness that are a prerequisite for this lifelong process. And if if I'm doing that, there's no thought or effort on our part with the almond butter or the alcohol or the fill in the blank. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. I'm quoting here, right? We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. So, you know, it's it's not a possibility for you because of what you're experiencing. Your life is, is, is you know, is, is so great, even if you're in the midst of calamity or, or human suffering. I think NA, um, in my opinion, has had it right when they said we're, we're powerless over our addictions. <laughs> my addictions could come in many forms. Okay, but we're in Overeaters Anonymous, so we're talking about this. But, but um, this is certainly OA. way, but, but as for me, when I'm not in a fit spiritual condition, when I'm not letting God in to enable me to flourish in life as God intends for me to do, I can seek to get an effect in many substances, in many behaviors that will distract me from the discomfort of life as I've been living it. So I, I want to touch on an, uh, another notion that kept me languishing and floundering in recovery. And that was thinking that sobriety is going to fix everything, <laughs> you know. Now, that's not to say that if you put the plug in the jug, as they say in AA, that your life's not going to improve. You put down the food, uh, your life will improve. I have no doubt you, you, you'll, it'll improve to some degree. But here is what I know today. Interrupting addiction does not build recovery. Interrupting addiction is not the building blocks to a lasting spiritual recovery. In fact, abstinence or interrupting addiction in the beginning is only a small part of recovery. It's an essential part of recovery, no doubt. But lasting recovery for a compulsive overeater like me is going to require a relationship with power a power greater than me, of my own understanding. It just, it just can't be me. It may be within me. I, I, I certainly accept that. But it's not me. Positive thinking is not the solution for me. Accessing power is. Abstinence is not the solution for me. Accessing power is. Calling my sponsor every day is, is wonderful. It's beautiful. I love it. I look forward to it most of the time. Maybe he does too. I don't know. But you know what the solution is? Accessing power. And for me, behavioral change is not the solution. Now, let me, let me, let me talk more about that because I want to be clear. Behavioral change in and of itself is not the solution. Accessing power is. In fact, for me, any plan B that does not lead to a sustainable relationship to a power greater than me is mere window dressing for me. Okay? I keep saying for me. I don't speak for anyone but me. It may be what I say. It may be consistent with what you read in the big book, but I, I want to be clear. I, I'm no expert in any of this. I'm just a student. I will, I will eat again if I do not access power, if I do not form a workable relationship with that power, and if I do not enlarge that relationship with power. And, you know, don't accept my opinion. Don't ever accept my opinion or anyone else's. Let's go to the textbook. Bottom of page 14 in Bill's story. Bottom of page 14. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. He could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Now, I don't know when you snuck that in my book. Probably when I when I wasn't looking. Um, but uh, but that's in my book. I have to, this is all about accessing power. And frankly, if you're like me and you're on the line new, it it may not make a lot of sense and it may not be your experience at this point, but hang on, buckle up, trust in the process, keep going here. Honestly, being open and transparent uh, and willing to do what's asked, right? So you want to flourish? Here's another Another uh, uh, central element. Now, central element, beep, 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 here comes the central element. You want to flourish, take action. (laughs) Okay? You're like, duh. That's the first time I ever heard that before. Um, Am I waiting to feel good first before I take action? That's a good question for me to ask because I think I was. Am I pursuing recovery with less energy and enthusiasm than I pursued addiction? I wanna say that again. Am I pursuing recovery with less energy and enthusiasm than I pursued addiction? See, I've never seen a compulsive overeater use half measures in their addiction. I sure didn't. (laughs) Page 59, right? Half measures availed us nothing. But I haven't seen that. You know, I, I wasn't a compulsible reader that used half measures in my addiction. I will tell you story after story. I remember years ago, it might have been 25, 30 years ago, it was 2 a.m. in Chicago. It was the middle of winter. It was blizzard conditions, whiteout conditions. It was 2 a.m. I don't stay up that late anymore, but back then, I can't remember <laughs> the circumstances, but I was up and um it must have been 30 years ago something like that but the time doesn't matter oh i'm going to any lengths for white castle hamburgers let me tell you i don't care if it's 2 a.m i don't care if it's two o'clock in the afternoon i don't care what's going on uh i don't care you know i'm a father i'm uh, at that time i don't care it's 2 a.m i want my heroin foods and you know what's open at that time. Now, lots of places are open 24 hours. But back then, at least my recollection was, it was White Castle. <laughs> it was a place here. And, and I went there. And I apologize if food triggers you a little bit, but you know what? We talk about this stuff. I'm just going to be transparent, open, and honest about this stuff. So here's the thing. Um, I went out in whiteout conditions, and I drove, and I got there. And me and other compulsive readers, I imagine, <laughs> were probably there at 2 a.m. because there seemed to be a long line in the, uh, the drive through. And I got up and I ordered what I ordered. And believe me, it was large quantities of nonsense, right? It was my heroin. I needed it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just I wanted it, I needed it. I needed it to, 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 to live, to live life, to cope. Okay, but but I didn't understand that at that time. So I pull out, and nobody should have been on the road. Not only at 2 a.m., but in whiteout blizzard conditions. Are you kidding me? I don't care if you got a four-wheel drive. I don't care if you got you know what what you got. You got chains on the back. You got, nobody should be out at that time. But I was out. So here's what happened next. I ate my food. And I you know a compulsive reader like me. I don't you know I don't wait. Get back home to eat the food. I eat it right there in the parking lot. Okay, so I ate all the food uh, in pretty short order, um, and then I left. As I'm driving uh, not too far, uh, it's terrible out. They're telling you to stay off the roads. And here comes – I'm at a stoplight, and here comes a car that I can see in my rearview mirror, and it's sliding, and it's sliding. And it's coming, you know that inevitable. You ever been there? That inevitable. Here it's coming, and boom, it hits me. Now it was it was sliding into me. I wasn't injured. There was no deployment of the airbag or nothing like that. But but the reality was, um, it was like oh, here it is, 2 a.m. All to get my White Castle hamburgers, right? I'm thinking. But um, and then the person takes off. <laughs> And my car isn't going anywhere, so I wait for another hour, two hours maybe, uh, for the police because I'm going to file a police report and so forth and all that. And
2: and, and that's just the way it went.
1: Did I go to any lengths for my disease? You betcha I did. And that's just one story. You have your own narrative. I have mine. That's one story. Can you relate on any level to, to those types of lengths that we go? So. Now, if I'm willing to apply that same level of commitment that I had to this disease to recovery, with God's help, I have an excellent chance to lead a remarkable life, perhaps even a life beyond my wildest dreams. But if I approach this with no enthusiasm, if I remain a member of the Corner Cutter Club, are you a member of my club, the Corner Cutter Club? (laughs) it's not going to work. You know, ask yourself, be rigorously honest, back to the honesty. Are you willing to go to any lengths for your recovery? Because if you are not, and I say this with love and kindness, just my own experience, you will languish, you will flounder in this disease. Yet just remember, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. So you're welcome to be here and to sit in the stands. You hear the sarcasm? <laughs> you can sit in the stands. Don't need to put a jersey on. You can applaud as the people out that, you know, that are out there in, in the arena. They're, uh, they're all you know, getting dirty and they're, you know, they're doing the deal. But if you're willing to go to any lengths, you have a really good solid foundation to recover for the rest of your life. And the promises speak to that now let me talk about uh, and I'm going to wrap up you know, a little bit now let me talk about taking action how it gives rise to my ability to flourish in recovery. so when I take any constructive action within this text what happens is there's often a positive sort of feedback loop if you will there's a positive feedback loop in other words We see the positive results and the impact it creates. And this encourages me to take more action. And I begin to build a spiritual momentum so that each constructive action becomes like a stepping stone. It creates kind of an upward spiral of progress. And what does this do? Well, it feels more action. So what does this look like? I put the food down. I'm uncomfortable. But I, I, I realize I'm not going to die from putting the food down I'm going to die from picking the food up okay but I'm not going to die from putting the food down but I'm uncomfortable and I cultivate a sense of resilience and hope even in the midst of that uncomfortability and and maybe just maybe I can do this and I immediately embark on the steps yes even in the midst of feeling discomfort the discomfort of myself, even with the 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 storms of life brewing about. But but as I begin to focus on the preparation steps, right, because I've embarked on the steps, I'm moving quickly. As I begin to focus on the preparation steps one, two, and three, you know, what's my problem? What's the solution to my problem? How am I going to bring the solution to light? How am I going to manifest that solution? As I begin to focus on those preparation steps with God's loving hand, Together, you know, together with God, we build a sense of momentum. And I stay in my lane. Am I using the tools as intended, the handrails? Yes. Yes, I am. Am I calling people for support, to learn, to reach out? Do I get discouraged when someone doesn't answer? Of course I do. I'm human. But there's no time for self-pity now. You know, let me make a decision to move forward into the action steps. Wow. I'm still, holy cow, I'm still sober. More momentum, more spiritual momentum. I'm so busy taking action after action after action that I don't have time for morbid self reflection. I don't have time for self pity. I'm calling my sponsor. Yes, I am. And and she's not perfect, or he's not perfect. I'm helping them too. For after all, they, you know, he or she needs to carry the message to me. You know, this isn't perfect charity. So now it's time for my inventory. No perfection here with the inventory. I'm going to trust in the process. that You, you told me to trust in the process. You told me to keep moving forward. Now, if you're someone that has been through the steps, you've had a spiritual awakening, it's sustainable in nature, and, and, and subsequently, you know, you take deeper dives into the work. Well, the obsession's been lifted and dependent upon your fit spiritual condition, so you're doing a deeper dive into the steps, you're being of service to others, you're doing all these things, okay, but the quick part of doing this in the beginning is I have to cross the bridge to freedom. If that obsession is not lifted, and that's what the steps are designed to do. Yes, they're designed to put our hand in God's hand. Yes, they're designed to give us access to power. It's essential, right? But if we're doing that work, the obsession is removed. It is removed. And once it's removed, you want to do a deeper dive? You want to go a little bit slower and take things? Sure. That makes perfect sense to me. But I will tell you that before the obsession is removed, when I was going too slow, I would eat. And for me, eat, die. Now, now that boy, I got on this line for the special edition. I wanted some positive stuff, and I'm hearing eat and die. You know, what I mean is it might not be your last breath death, Which can you relate to my type of death where I was alive and my heart was beating and I'm breathing? And, and I'm and I'm seemingly living, but I'm not really living at all, and I'm and I'm miserable and then most of the time, and I'm stepping on the toes of others, and boy oh boy, did the big book know they they sure retaliate, and then I see myself as a victim, and this happens over and over again, and I lower my standards and I normalize that feeling of, yeah, you're going to resent people, they're going to do things to you, and then you're going to react and do things back to them, and on and on it goes, and uh, where's the donuts? Where's the Hershey bar? Uh, That's languishing in program. So there's a progression of momentum that begins to fuel a spiritual confidence dependent upon our higher power. A spiritual confidence dependent upon our higher power. So the honesty and recovery we need for flourishing, right? Openness, willingness. You know, um, honesty, open openness, honest, open, and willing. It could be a simple guide to emotional sobriety. And that honesty allows us to take responsibility for our lives in a way that is utterly impossible when we're hiding in denial. Honesty builds self-esteem. Why? Because the more esteemable things that I do, then my self-esteem goes up. So honesty builds esteem. I need to do esteemable things. I need to live not in perfect integrity, not possible, but I need to live in integrity as best I can. And it's a necessary step in any change process. And willingness means that We might not know how to change, but we're willing to change. Sometimes we become willing out of desperation. That's fine. Other times out of courage or passion. That's fine too. No matter how we get there, willingness is the key to shifting out of old patterns and then getting into this uncharted territory. And and so what, what does it mean to be open? Well, for starters, you know, I think it means that we, you know, we refrain, we abstain from shutting down possibilities before they've had a chance to breathe. Let these possibilities breathe. I'm I'm often guilty of this strategy. My brain seems to instantly compute all the possible outcomes. You ever do that? It's sort of like a profit and loss assessment. And we make a decision to not do something before an idea has left Someone's mouth has left the book. You know, I take the safe choice, what seems safe to me. You know, there's nothing to risk, and I stay in my comfort zone and I eat. And for me to eat is to die. But what if I can make a small shift from no to I don't know? Just a small shift from no to I don't know. You know, I I'm, I'm going to be wrapping up here but we 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 all we all love the familiar right it, it it's 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 like a, a cozy blanket that helps us to feel safe but how, ma- how many of us want more for our lives than what is just cozy and familiar you know being uh open transparent honest with ourselves what it does is it allows me to see pathways that can take me to the very places that my higher power wanted me to go. Being open invites sort of bigger and better ventures that my higher power wanted me to have and to to pursue. Um, Being open provides solutions and options that I, that I, I never would have been able to see when I remained tethered to my tiny perspectives on the world and on this disease. So the question for me is, how am I being open to all that life has to offer today? Because I want to flourish today in this program. Where might I don't know take you? It takes humility to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to try. I'm open to try. See, one thing is for certain for me. It won't be the same old story that No has been offering. No is the easiest thing to say. Nope, nope, nope. All the things that I'm not going to do. So I think it's time to wrap up now. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap up from page 152 from a chapter with our namesake. It's called The Vision for You. On page 152, it says, We have shown how we got out from under. And you say, yes, I'm willing, but am I going to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum, like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, you know what? There is a substitute. And it's vastly more than that. It's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous. You know, now here's a miraculous promise. It says, there you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. This we find in the fellowship, and so will you. So good time for me to pass now. Thanks so much, you guys, for the opportunity. And with that, I will pass.
0: Thank you, Larry. That was beautifully thorough. Lovely to hear. Thank you so much for this um, presentation today because it's going to be very thoughtful and very thorough for going back over and piecing each one out. It's very, very deep and I appreciate you very, very much. We're going to ask Larry for his contact information at the end of this meeting here we have a few more minutes to go with an opportunity for questions so stay with us until the end of the um, to the top of the hour and after the recordings finished we'll grab up that contact information the share id number for today's the sunday special edition february 25th, 2024 is 21167 21167 so, in this last few minutes that we have, if you have a question this morning for Larry, please give me your first name, the first letter of your last name, and uh, your state, so we can get a hold of Larry you
3: Connie you, Texas. H. Connie G., Texas.
0: Just a second, Loretta H., and then Connie G., did you say?
2: Yes. Okay.
0: Let's go with that many and see what we have. Um, in terms of time, okay? So let's start first with Mary Lee from Eugene, Oregon, and then followed by Hanietta.
3: Your question Good, please?
0: please? Good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning,
3: Mary Lee, are in Eugene, Oregon. And
0: Larry, you, you were talking about um, willingness. What about wantingness?
1: That's my question. Okay, yeah, yeah, thanks Mary Lee. Um, Let's see if I if I can. That's kind of a, a broad question. Um, so, you know, willingness. What about wantingness? Okay. So we hear uh, things. You know, demonstrated in my action. So that's the first thing I want to say about that. Uh, even wantingness will be reflected in a demonstration of my action. So without being more specific you know, on the questions, you know, what, what about wanting this? I think it's fine. Uh, I, I certainly want, you know, what I learned that I wanted was different over time. You know, I didn't come, for example, I didn't want a spiritual awakening uh, when I came here. At least that was not, I wasn't opposed to one. <laughs> I just didn't see the connection, right? So, so um wanted weight loss, I know I wanted better relationships, I wanted different things, but I just didn't see the connection to all those different things. But with, with any of that, you know, we, we hear certain, certain uh, slogans, right? Uh, for example, right, you, you, you've heard this, Mary Lee, uh, it's, it's not a program for people who, uh, who, you know, need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's, it's only a program for people who do it. Right. Uh-huh. Some are some variation thereof. Right. But but for me, um, I, I, you know, I stay out of sort of overanalyzing the words too much. It's just that I know that any of this is for me today is watch my actions. Uh, I will watch my actions and I will um, have accountability partners in the sense of sponsoring other people that will, if I'm honest, will help me uh, to. Kind of take a look at some of those actions, but whether it's willingness or wantingness, <laughs> um, it's an action. And uh, because this is a spiritual program of action, that's all we really have, you know. So whether I'm willing or wanting, how will I know if a uh, uh, a sponsee uh, wants this and is willing to do the work? Uh, pretty simple. They're going to do the work. You know, um, and, 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 and that being said, I will say that if someone is not willing yet, they see. you know, I used to say, of course I'm willing. You're my, you're, you're my ninth sponsor. What do you mean am I willing to go to any lengths? Clearly I am. You're my ninth sponsor. <laughs> you know, I'm still here, right? But if you would have watched my actions, that would have demonstrated my lack of willingness to do what was required to be brought into a relationship with power, which was ultimately going to be my solution. So, I don't know if that kind of addresses uh, some of that, but those are some of my thoughts, Mary Lee, on, on, those, on, those, two, on, on those two ideas of willingness and, and wanting.
0: Thank you very much, Mary Lee R. from Oregon for your question this morning. Hana Yeta, your question. Star one, please.
3: Yes, hi. This is Hanna Yaka. Hi Larry. Hey, how are you? My favorite name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have to tell you, this is the first time I've asked a question on the on these on the whatever these are called. Anyway, uh because I wanted to hear you say that. Um but I do have a question. Okay. It says that we, you know, on the bottom of fourteen again, that we if we failed to perfect and enlarge a spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. So my question is, well, I want to preface it with that I know people in AA and NA actually go to hospitals, treatment centers, prisons, whatever, and take meetings there for people who are still suffering. When I first started in 81 in kentucky we actually had um meetings uh we'd go to the hospital also uh for people that are in treatment and started meetings but anyway what do you do what do you do uh to help others
1: yeah, Hana that, Yetta, that is a that is a, a great question. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so 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 what do I do? Um, it, it's quite simple, really. It's quite simple. I mean, yeah, there's things like this, and there's you know a special edition here. And someone asked me to speak or something like that. There's all those things, but really most of, of what I do w- within the context of program, right? Is, uh, is sponsor other individuals, and that means that I try my best to hold a lantern up. I heard that from Leia M. long ago, um, to hold a lantern up to this text. Because, and I do that, not just because she said it, but I do that because this is what someone did it for me. They brought the words off the pages, and they brought it to life for me in a way that I could begin to slowly understand and, uh, and and begin to uh, y- y- begin to take these actions. And so um, I do, you know, uh, intensive work, as it talks about on page 89 in that chapter, intensive, for, for me, my interpretation, it's just mine, of intensive work with others is taking them through the steps. And I do it with my own human style. But it is in congruence, I think, with the book of what the instructions lay out. Now, that being said, Hanayeta, that I, um, that uh, you know, service and self-sacrifice for others with no expectation of a return you know, is what I've heard from my sponsor. And, I, and that, that's an ideal Right, that's an ideal. Uh-huh. We could, we could, we could sort of debate. You know, you get nothing out of it, Larry, when you do. No, I get when you do something nice for your daughter, you get nothing out of it. No, no, I, uh, good feelings, and uh, but that that that's okay. God's helped me to decipher and to understand more. So I do, I do, I try to be. There's a service orientation in all that I do today. It's not perfect, you know. At the core, uh, I'm I'm a selfish person. Notice I didn't say a bad person that walks around feeling horrible, horrible about himself, not at all. Thank you, God, that I don't. But, but I do have instincts that are uh, selfish and some of them are like I eat meals, is that selfish? <laughs> no, it's part of my survival. But because I know and I can distinguish between other types of selfishness, what I try to do, back to your question about service, is I try to, wherever I can, be of service to others, in whatever way, sometimes that's just calling my mother and because I know she likes to hear from me and or going to visit her as I will today, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, and I could be of service in that way. And usually the test for me is, you know, is I get an intuitive feeling about what's good. So you're talking about going to hospitals and doing things. Wonderful. Beautiful. Starting a new meeting. Wonderful. There's all sorts of different types of service. But in the context of the program for me, it is taking people through the steps, which do I get benefit from? Of course I I get to stay on this beam of recovery. So I hope that helps a little bit. Those are some of my thoughts about it. Nice to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much, Anietta. Yeah, for your question this morning. Loretta H., your question.
2: Star one, please, good morning. Good morning, Melanie, and good morning, Larry, and all along with you are saving my life, the Red H, North Carolina. Larry, sharing about how to do an honest day of work. Thank you. My question is, on page 181 of the big book in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, he talks about how he abused the privilege to drink. And as a compulsive overeater, Um, I have lost that privilege, too. And how long did it take? And I haven't lost the privilege to eat. I've lost the privilege with the alcoholic foods. Once you get to a point of knowing exactly what your alcoholic foods are and you come to that realization that it is a privilege, how long, and because for me it took me, he said two and a half years to get comfortable about his sobriety. Just from even though he had detoxed and everything, how long did it take you to realize that eating is a privilege, and that you don't abuse it? And you were talking about recoiling from a hot flame, or that neutrality really comes into play um, because I've experienced that. But it did take me a process and a while, not just. Overnight, so hope that isn't confusing or convoluted. Thank you, Larry.
1: <laughs> no. no, it's not confusing. So here's how I here's how I personally view it, Loretta. Yeah, I know I'm very familiar with the story, Dr. Bob's nightmare, and I do refer to that sometimes in talking to others about this. That particularly when when when, when those temptations and cravings. Um Maybe not cravings is not the right word, but but uh, he for about two and a half years, according to what he said, he still had occasional temptations, but never did it lead to picking up the alcohol so obviously something was up there um and I think it's different for different people i mean so i I really <laughs> with love and kindness i say i don't want to put a a time frame on it furthermore because um, because of the this isn't a sort of static recovery for me right so let me be more specific there have time there have been times where i've absolutely felt long stretches of time and i know i'm not the only one long stretches of time where i felt absolutely neutral uh to the food and every day i just eat i don't think about it it, you know and there have been times when my fit spiritual condition I don't know it at the time this is part of the the delusion here my fit spiritual condition in reflection there was something on, and then the temptations have come back now I will be honest in saying never to the to the levels that they were right, but I could just kind of see I mentioned the almond butter right I just kind of see you know and um so whenever. Whenever, um, we a, 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 opinion, whenever we give a particular, this is my opinion, whenever we give a particular time period, it's kind of like um, I, I, I worry a little bit that I'm sort of <laughs> you know telling people that this is what it should be. This was my experience. But I will tell you that when I, this, it's this simple. When I had worked the steps for the first time years ago uh, uh, completely, and I followed the instructions in sequence, and I did it relatively quickly, and I trusted the process. I didn't know that I was trusting the process. I didn't know what was about to happen. But when that happened, when I reflect back, as Bill did in writing a lot of this book, he was reflecting back, um, I know, yes, there was an unequivocal neutrality around the food. But I have learned, as other people that have been around for quite a while have also learned through their own pain, Um, and you know who you are, that because of the progressive nature of this disease, uh, there's no arrival here. We have to, this is the one day at a time aspect. But no question that when we are in fit spiritual condition, we can walk a free man or a free woman from the obsession, not from the the challenges in life, not from our, you know, uh, I don't believe that, that, for example, that uh, defects of character are removed in God's timing and, you know, in God's way, okay? But, um, but for me, um, I, would, I would suggest to you that as soon as I work those steps as they were laid out, something happened. And <laughs> I'll be darned if it didn't. I was about halfway through step nine when I think back, and that's when that neutrality set in. And it lasted and and if it wasn't for the fact that i began to rest on my laurels and i began to coast and i was in trouble before you knew it and it might not have even been with the food okay <laughs> because this disease will seep in and all at least in my life in all different ways and so now i have a very healthy respect for this disease Loretta. very healthy respect and i just keep doing what, uh, what is, what is uh, asked of me, what the book asked me to do. So I hope that helps, uh, Loretta. Appreciate the question.
3: Yeah,
0: thank you very much, Loretta, for your question this morning. Thank you so much, Larry, for extending this time here like this and answering these particular questions. Um, because of the time, that is the last question we'll be able to offer you for today. Connie, do you my apologies for, for that? Um, please stay and get Larry's telephone number and dial him up and ask him your question, he'll get a chance to be able to do it that way. And again, Larry, you offered so much this morning, as you always do. There are such valuable, precious um, recordings for our archives. Thank you. Thank you for the teaching this morning. So as we move into the closing part, we're going to close the way we usually do here at A Vision for You by reading from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little.